I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Misha. She's a porn star, an extreme wrestler, and a stroke survivor. Let's talk about it. Well, this is going to be um, this is going to be actually a very fun conversation because although we're we're here with Misha Montana to talk about um, you know what it's like to recover from having something like a stroke, I'm excited about that. I am, but I'm 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 also like, and I hate to say it, more excited to talk to Misha about how wrestling is just like absolutely fucking bananas on the human body. Um, uh, and we got a big wrestling wrestling fan on our hands. Hey, I mean, I grew up, grew up loving it and, uh, still love it. Um, but Misha, first of all, before we get into the thick of all of that, uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Give yourself a little introduction. Who is Misha Montana? Sure. Thank you guys again for having me. I'm super excited to be here and doing this. And, you know, um, I'm a stroke survivor. I had a stroke last year and, um, it's just been, it's been a crazy journey, but I'm an award-winning adult performer, director, I'm a human rights and stroke advocate, uh, I'm a single mom, I'm the chief brand officer and production manager for a company called Alterotic, and I was just recently given a position for an ambassador and educator to help youth, teens, and adults learn about sex education from sex workers. That's fuck. That's fucking cool. Yeah. What, t- t- uh, can you tell us a little bit about that that ambassadorship? Yeah. It's um, it's called the Porn Conversation. It was created by um, a very well known, well respected performer and director named Erica Lust. Um, Lust Cinemas is hers, and she started this program to bring you know therapists, educators, um, sex workers, advocates, speakers into the. Um, into the circle and go out and provide education for children, youth, um, teens, and adults that have, you know, a misconception about what the adult industry is and just having a healthy conversation about sex in our bodies, which I speak publicly a lot on about the importance of having that communication and that education that I think is critically lacking in society these days. So I'm thrilled to be an ambassador for them and I will be um, gearing up to do a lot of public speaking on their behalf and, you know, going children and, um, you know, it's controversial. Like a lot of people have issue with that, which I think it's a brilliant program because who better to educate your children, not by what we do. And that's the thing that I think is so important is a lot of these children are learning sex from the internet they're learning mm. from they're learning from their peers um and that's dangerous when you put people into an environment because their parents or you know people that are in leadership roles in their life 
are uncomfortable having a conversation and they think it's best to avoid it until they deem it's appropriate. And they're going out and they're, they're having sex earlier. They're being exposed to STIs and STDs that the rates are the highest they've ever been. Um, Pregnancy rates dropping to younger ages every day. Um, It's, you know, it's a very difficult world to navigate. And for us that are professional sex workers, you know, we are the most educated in that environment. Um, Mm. For someone who gets tested for every single STD on the planet, every 14 days, um, you know, and the importance of protecting yourself using contraceptives and and condoms and um, even just down to, you know, emotionally being prepared to have sex. Mm. There's so much that goes into it. You're biologically ready to go at a very young age. Mm -hmm. And not saying that that's an appropriate time to begin having sex. My personal opinion would be to wait as long as possible. But in this environment and climate that we're in, um, in the modern world, it's just not realistic. And I know people are very uncomfortable talking about it. It's very taboo. But we have to look at it for what it is. And we want to protect people. That's Mm -hmm. the thing. Like, you want them to be prepared and have all the tools so that they can make that decision about their body when they're ready. And they may not be ready, but if they're in an, a situation, if they didn't have that education or the tools, it's a it's a problematic and, and potentially dangerous situation. Yeah. I, it doesn't I, surprise me that Erica Lust is kind of heading this uh, for people who aren't aware. Like Erica Lust is a she's like a prominent figure in like in in like the feminist porn movement um, and yes. her her like. The work that she does as a director, the videos that she produces, they're very, um, uh, they're, they're like, they're, they're just very like progressive and forward thinking. And it's, it's, like, it's really like, I mean, I'm not in the industry, so I don't know, but it very, it seems like a really healthy space. Um, and, and I, I've been, because of my other podcasts, I've been a, a subscriber of Lust Cinemas for like, I don't know, two or three years now. And their stuff's great. Their stuff's awesome. It's like it's yeah. it's it's like positive. It's body positive. It's fucking sex positive. It's it it seems really healthy. Misha, I'm I'm curious. Do you, like do you does the sex worker community face a lot of stigma in like rolling out these projects? Like when you describe them, mm-hmm. I I I can very quickly <laughs> see like how important um these the this work is. And also, you're right. Like coming from people who understand this inside and out. Um, it seems very appropriate for um, you to be the ones who are communicating these messages. But I imagine there's a lot of stigma. Is that true? It is 100% true, unfortunately. Um, you know, I my role, which I think was appealing to them to bring me on, which I'm so honored and so grateful for, is, you know, I come from going out in more mainstream environments, like outside of our little porn bubble world and trying to educate the general population on the human side of the adult industry. Because so often we're viewed as just sex symbols that, you know, you know, a lot of people think that we're not even entitled to, to our lives, let alone health and, um, governmental services or or anything like we are just totally ostracized by society strictly because of what we do for a living forgetting that we are humans and you know a a lot of us are parents and 
Um, you know, we're, we're simply just human beings at the end of the day in an industry that's consumed by a large majority of the population. So it's such a hypocritical mm-hmm. uh, judgment, but it's very real. And um, to be able to represent sex workers and going in and, and trying to educate, there's a lot of pushback to that because mm. people are like, well, why would I want a porn star to educate my child on sex? It's like, why wouldn't you? Um, when we're not, the difference is I think people, you know, immediately without thinking, they assume that we're encouraging sex. We're, you know, we're pushing people to have sex. We're promoting it. Um, that's not the case at all. It's simply providing you know, education, because we are the most experienced people in the world when it comes to sex. And, you know, and none of us are advocating for the children and youth to go out and have sex. Mm -hmm. And that's, and we make very clear, it's that you have to have an uncomfortable conversation with, with kids, and people don't think that that's appropriate. But unfortunately, it is, Um, it's necessary, as uncomfortable as it is. And I don't think it's, it's a good thing that we have to have those conversations with younger children and teens and preteens. I don't think it's, it's a, um, it's indicative of, you know, a healthy society right now, but unfortunately that's where we're at. Yeah. Because it's, it's been very, it's been quite obvious over the last like 20, you know, 20 years that abstinence based education has simply just like fucked up an entire, you know, mm -hmm. two or three generations of, of Americans. And I mean, even, you know, even Canadians, um, it's, worse it's made it only it would is not applicable to reality Mm -hmm. it's it's a nice idea but even like you know abstinence only or like shaming people you know making them afraid of sex and Mm -hmm. of their own bodies that's not a healthy relationship with your body it's not a healthy relationship with sex and we all are going to hopefully have sex at some point in our life. We're all products of sex. Um, the fact that it's, you know, we're, we're animals, we're humans. We um, are biologically engineered to reproduce. And that's why, you know, it's so interesting to me that people frown upon it so much, but there's a lot that goes into that. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's stigma, but it's based a lot heavily in religion is a, you know, a major yeah. culprit, um, which you know, I have very strong feelings about, but you know, it's, it doesn't change the fact that we're in the situation that we're in Mm. and we have to respond accordingly to protect people. It's all, it's not coming from a negative or, you know, some kind of like um, an evil place. It's, it's coming from the best intentions and trying to prepare people for what they're inevitably going to have to face at some point. What, what are some of the key messages that you're communicating? For me, you know, the biggest thing is safety. I think that, you know, if you get to a point in your life and you're ready to have sex, or you find yourself in a situation where you may be having sex, that you're prepared with the tools to know, you know, safety measures as far as like using protection. I think that's the biggest thing. Protecting yourself from STDs, getting tested, you know, getting on birth control if you're going to be sexually active and have a responsible life. But I also push the idea that, you know, in my opinion, you should be emotionally prepared to have sex, even if you're physically ready. You That might not line up. And oftentimes it does not. And having sex 
is not necessarily an expression of love always, you know, and being prepared, like, especially kids in high school, you know, you, you are dating someone and you think you're in love with someone. So you make choices based on that emotion. And sex is a wonderful, beautiful expression of emotion a lot of times, but it's also, you know, it's been simplified to a more just physical um, action mm-hmm. and activity. Um, so knowing the difference between expressing love and feelings in a sexual way, and then not being ashamed of your body, you know, masturbation is very healthy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's shamed a lot and, you know, frowned upon. I think when you, you shouldn't feel any shame about having sexual urges that are biological and you shouldn't be afraid to have a healthy relationship Mm -hmm. with your own body so there's a lot you know it it covers a lot of different components but i think safety is really the biggest you you just want to you just want to make sure you don't jerk off too much because you'll start growing uh, hair out of your palms my dad told me that and that's uh, i think that stands true so you, you no one wants hairy palms uh, uh misha i want to i want to like change gears here for a moment because um i have a i have a clip actually prepped for the guys that they haven't seen yet and uh and like i sort of want to i i sort of want to uh just kind of get this out of the way before we before we dive into the stroke stuff because I feel like with you, there's like, we're like we could literally talk about fucking ten trillion different things, um, but I but I do we we don't often get to speak to uh, professional wrestlers and especially professional wrestlers who fuck with like hardcore matches. Um, and I have like a quick little clip here that I pulled from yes. you after a hardcore match and uh, and and what that sort of uh, looks like uh, for folks that like aren't aware of uh, the state of wrestling. Uh, so here we go. Let's see. Hey. Hey. What happened? I was just in a fucking death match. This is all my real blood. No. Oh, that's real. Yeah, that's really? No that's real. Yeah, yeah. So should yeah. you get hit with something? I got hit in the head. With? with a chair and a light tube. Yeah, I, I saw it. I from the head. The light tube looked vicious. Ooh. Oh. How are you feeling? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. I love it. Look at my knees are all cut up. I got glass. I got... It's fucking so cool. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's so it is cool. So much. Oh my god, you're rolling just, around in glass. And more. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Oh, just it. getting yeah. fucked yeah. up. Good. I had a great time. That's fantastic. Oh my god. Uh, um so That's amazing. That was cool so shit. uh get, for, give the guys a little bit of context. Um what was what was happening there? What was that event that night? So I um I started doing uh valeting for xpw which is extreme pro wrestling and uh schlack who's king of the deathmatch he's a very well-known well-respected uh deathmatch wrestler and i'm his valet and in the storyline i'm also his like crazy stalker love interest and <laughs> we decided to do a death match. Usually it's, you know, I was getting more physical with the matches, like getting hit with uh, kendo sticks and rolling around and slapping and, you know, hair pulling and all that stuff. But I really wanted to bleed and people thought I was insane. <laughs> um, and so actually, you know, this is kind of breaking kayfabe a little bit, but that match was supposed to be different. Um, I fully intended on bleeding the entire time, but we ended up having to change the match like literally a minute before because of a prop issue. So we just, that was kind of like, that was a 
a free for all shit yeah. show. Yeah, can, for 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 folks who um who aren't like wrestling literate, uh, can you explain what kayfabe is? Kayfabe is basically like it's the the breaking the fourth wall yeah. or like you know in um in the entertainment world you know it's like the secrets of the trade that you're mm. not supposed to say because it ruins the the illusion factor and the storylines and mm-hmm. it's like secrets that you know would potentially like t- distract from the storylines so that's so cool. love it. it's, yeah, it's, that's so i mean cool. like so so when you get fucked up like that or like you know when when that whole thing is happening you know there's three four five of you in the ring you're being slammed by chairs you're being you're getting like you know like like long like um uh light tubes light tubes blasted over your face um we used wh- to break those on each other when we were <laughs> yeah, what we kind did. of like what do you need like do you need stitches like what kind of what kind of aftercare comes into play with uh after going through like a hardcore match especially with those like those guys that are doing really wild shit like jumping into tables wrapped in barbed wire and shit like oh that oh my god <laughs> i was supposed to go through a table that night and like so like that was the thing that everybody was like that is so dangerous i can't believe you would even consider doing that where like yeah getting hit in the head with with glass and chairs and everything else is not necessarily the, the safest either <laughs> but um i people were shocked by that because I mean, I really bled too, especially with, you know, my blonde hair and it, like just visually it was so cool, but I was bleeding from the head and I was like, by the end of it, I was pretty, pretty woozy. I lost a lot of blood, yeah, no <laughs> but, I, but you know, the biggest one, it wasn't even my head. Like I have a little scar here from, um, which is awesome on my head. I love looking at it. It's just like this little Nick from, um, getting cut with glass, but I have, I like a scar about this long on my leg from as you saw, like rolling around in the glass and I had to like pick it out of my, my knees. And I had one in my wrist. I have a scar, Ooh. like there was glass everywhere. Oh, yeah. And I had a minor, you know, role as far as like being cut open where some of these guys, like, I mean, if they're bleeding like that, like they have to get stitches. People have had to go to the hospital. Um, it, it can be really serious, especially the way that they, they cut each other up. Like, and it's real. Like people are like wrestling's fake and this is you know fake blood and fake this. And they're not really doing this. They are. Yeah. They the, o- the only thing fake about wrestling is the storylines. I, I, yeah. I mean, and even then sometimes those storylines aren't so fake. You know, you look at like, uh, you look at Brett, the Hitman Hart and like, and him and and the and his relationship with WWF, like he actually got fucked over. Like that was a re- that was a real storyline that just poured out into the, you know the 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 realm of of you know that professional like, wrestling that like played the out. Montreal screw job. That was a real thing. Like that was an actual thing yeah. that played out. And he, you know, he got fucked over by uh, by McMahon, the whole McMahon enterprise anyway i can see i I can just like see jer jer's just like slowly unscrewing the top of of wrestling madness oh fuck yeah misha i'm I'm curious like what what is it that it because like i i uh i play soccer and and twice playing soccer surprisingly i've had my head cut open and i've had uh stitches two times and the first time that it happened i put my hand to my head and i I pulled it down and I looked at it and it was just covered in blood. Like I was just bleeding a fuckload. And when I went off the field, like the first thing I wanted to do was take a picture of it because it was yeah. so gnarly. I was like, oh, this is this is fucking cool. Like I thought there was something like 
cool about bleeding. Yeah, battle scars. That much, you know, sure. battle scars are cool. And I'm curious, like for you, like what is it that's so exciting about about like being covered in blood in front of like a room full of people like that? I don't, you know what? It, I don't know. People are like, there's something wrong with you, which probably, <laughs> but like, <laughs> I don't know. I've always been. I'm kind of a, even like in photography when I've modeled or just even I don't know I've always been like really drawn to that imagery like just bloody and like I just I love it I'm obsessed with it and being covered in blood to me one visually is so stunning but then it's like it's just such a cool feeling to have it and it's a rush in a sense too Ooh, like totally. I, was so excited. I was bopping around like backstage like I don't want to wash this off I went to IHOP afterwards with dried blood down my face i didn't wash my face and people were like staring at me and i'm just like i love how cool yeah hi i'm jesse crookshank jesse crookshank i host the number one comedy podcast called phone a friend girl Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> there's something very there's something I mean, very primal about yeah. <clears throat> just like being injured and 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 wearing it like especially when once once the like once once you know that you're not like fucked fucked yeah. like that you're not in any right. mortal danger or mm-hmm. anything like that it it becomes like a very big but even big rush to be like yeah I'm wearing it my mouth is is cut open or my eyes yeah. cut open or whatever and I'm bleeding and it's gash and it's cool and but, I'm fucking tough but even <laughs> aside from like the aside from the the you know the blood or like the violence aspect of it as as an actor like I I get it fully like I it's to me it's it's the exact same as like you know uh say you're doing a stage play and you're, you you have this scene where you you you're required to just like fucking sob, like ugly cry. And like you're doing you're doing this thing that that is weird to do in front of other people. You're cutting yourself open. You're bawling your eyes out. You're, you know, what like in porn, you're fucking covered in sweat and jizz. Like mm-hmm. it's just you're doing something that is so like, like you said, it's a it's this primal, like guttural experience. And when you know that it's providing entertainment for somebody else there's something about that that is exhilarating Dude, like, it's excited. just exhilarating yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's something about being in a in a state that is that is like outside the realm of uh you know like what we what we call normal like, yeah like the status quo yeah like, like i i went for a bike ride the other day and it was it was fi- like we did 100k it was filthy on the roads it was wet i got yeah. in i was covered in mud <laughs> yeah. and i was like I fucking love being covered in mud. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, why do I feel so fucking great yeah. about this? Yeah. Yeah. Why'd you take a picture and send it to us? Because I was like, look <laughs> at me, guys. I'm covered in mud. Yeah. I love it. You did, yeah. <laughs> oh fuck. I, I, um, uh, Misha, I'm, I'm. So, so I'd, li- I'd like to kind of like transition this into into your experience with your stroke. Um, uh, I, I don't know, like, I don't know a whole lot about strokes. I, if, um, I, I feel like we've talked about it before, but like it's it's a it's some sort of clotting, right? It's like a um, it, depending on where a stroke happens, like you can have a stroke in your brain or a stroke in your heart, or give me a little bit of insight into your your stroke. 
My stroke there, you know, I knew absolutely nothing about strokes before I had one. And I think that's unfortunate. You know, stroke is um, the third cause of death in this country. And you usually would assume that, you know, most people that have strokes are older people like, you know, 70s, 80s. And, um, you know, the, the stereotype stroke that I always reference is like their face droops and like, you know, but people don't know a lot about them. I didn't know anything about it. So when I had a stroke, I didn't know I was having one because I just assumed it was something else. Um, the thing with strokes too, which is problematic, at least in my cases, it wasn't painful for me. Um, there was nothing like, it wasn't like a heart attack where it's like, crushing feeling or like you know something's wrong um but it was very subtle and so i didn't go to the hospital which was luckily for me um, not a fatal mistake um i didn't go for like 12 hours and then i drove myself there and i thought i was having like an allergic reaction and of Mm. course you know like you're having a full-blown stroke my stroke came from a clot that i got um unfortunately, from the vaccine. And it started in my calf, most likely, unbeknownst to me at the time. And it traveled to my heart because I had a previously undiagnosed condition called a PFO, where your heart, when you're born, everyone has a hole and it's separated. And usually when you're born, it compresses that hole. But 25% of the population has that hole. And so it shot through the hole to the left side of my brain, which is unusual for a lot of strokes happen on the right side. So because of that, uh, the path that it traveled, my neurologist, um, brilliant, wonderful doctor that he was, was able to determine from the location where it went in the trajectory and, you know, everything that it did. But People have strokes for all kinds of different reasons. Um, This particular case was a a blood clot that traveled to the brain. That happens um, a lot. People have brain bleeds that happen, um, not clot related, and have massive strokes. And it's insane what a stroke can do to your body. I was very lucky. Mm. Um, Physically, I recovered quite well mentally you know there's a lot of deficits still but i talk to stroke survivors all the time that i mean they couldn't walk you know after and for years of aggressive physical occupational speech therapies like surgeries brain surgeries i had heart surgery i mean it's it's crazy and more and more you see people that are younger and younger having strokes too Mm. so it can happen at any time. I mean, lifestyle plays a part, but sometimes they happen for no reason. So it's really, you know, the biggest thing is like knowing the signs. And unfortunately, when people have strokes, like I lost my ability to talk. And so people thought that I was like drunk Mm. or, you know, on drugs or something. So people kind of make light of it or make fun of it. Mm. When it's it's a medical emergency that requires immediate attention, the reason why they want you to go so soon after the symptoms come on is I believe within the first hour, there is a drug that they can administer that can potentially reverse the effects after that. There's nothing that can be done. What was the, uh, when you had your stroke, like where were you, what was the, the actual experience itself? Like, 
I, at the time I had a stroke, I was um, having sex with a motocross guy. And <laughs> wait, was this uh, was this like extracurricular sex or was this sex with a bunch of uh, crew and cameramen and sound guys? No, this was uh, this was personal time. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, copy. <laughs> so I was out with him, and literally in the middle of us having sex, I couldn't talk, and I was like, "This is weird." And when we were done. I was like, there's something wrong. Like in my face started going out and drooping and I lost control of the right side of my body. And it was like, it was bizarre. And you know, at the time he was like, what did you take? Mm. And I was like, take anything. Like I'm not, you know, an illicit drug user, you know? And we had like a couple drinks at dinner, but I, you know, not slosh, nothing weird, you know? Mm. And, um, it was, it was bizarre and like frightening at first, but it became more frightening as time went on and nothing was like, it wasn't going away. Mm-hmm. Um, then I started to panic. So I'm like, something is really wrong here. And so I took myself to the hospital and sure enough, you know, I had, um, it appeared on their MRI and CAT scan that I had the, the injury to my brain on the left side that was affecting the right side of my body. Mm. So, and when you went in, did you go were, like, when you went into, did you go to the emergency room and were, were like, when you said what was going on, were they like, let's get, we need to, we need stroke, stroke, uh, protocol. We need to, to stroke, yeah, stroke yeah, protocol yeah, yeah. and figure out if that's what's going on. Yeah. Well, you know, I walked in, it was COVID time. So I had a mask on and they're like, why are you here? And I, took my mask off and I was going to talk and before I could even say anything, yeah. they were codes. Yeah. Uh, and I was, you know, it was like, it, and I was like, you guys like, really, it's like, is it that serious? It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like a bug bite. And they're just like ripping it. They're like, we got to get you in the low. You know? And it was, it was a serious emergency. Yeah. And I just, I don't know if I was just trying to like, I was in denial or something like the whole time I was just trying to convince them that, you know, it wasn't a thing, but they, I told them honestly what I was doing at the time too. And they said that that's actually not uncommon when you're doing really intense physical activity, sex included, that these clots can break off. Whoa. I I mean, when you said you had it during sex, my first thought was that has to be the absolute worst place and time to have a stroke with somebody else because you know you're having dinner and you have a stroke with somebody else they're gonna go what the fuck is wrong with you immediately you're having sex with somebody and you have a stroke they could be like whoa like i must be killing it right now look at her look at their face like they are they are just in such ecstasy their fucking face is contorted when i'm done having sex i'm just like i just become a puddle yeah yeah i become a stroke i finish i go i could be dead for five minutes and no one know again you know it's funny it's kind of ironic too that his uh whole gimmick like one of his shirts is uh got strokes four strokes oh right 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 four strokes suck yeah, kind of yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, totally. So yeah, I was like, totally. this is fucking hilarious, actually. That is really funny. Yeah, totally. <laughs> this is hilarious. There, there's, <laughs> there's like a, there's, there's like a, um, there's such a weird tendency, I think, just for humans in general. Um, I think, well, I think you kind of fall into two camps, like where you think when something goes wrong, you think it's the worst of the worst. And then when something goes wrong, you like really play it down. 
But I had a, like a very yeah. similar experience in the hospital where I got hit by a car. I was very clearly broken and I'm in the hospital and they were like, there was a, you know, 20 doctors around and they wanted to check a thousand things. And I was like, guys, <laughs> come on. Yeah. Let's relax here. I know I can't move. But settle down. And I know I was struck by a car while riding my bicycle and the car was going 60, but I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, you just, you, there's something, there's something in your brain that just like, you just want them to chill. You want them to chill. You want them to chill because you feel, you don't feel like you can't, you can't understand or wrap your head around the seriousness of the situation that you're in. And because if you start, if you start being as unchill as they are, it's going to make their job harder. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't. You guys are making me nervous right now. Like, why? Why are you acting this way? Should I be more concerned? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not fucking doctors, so don't listen to a goddamn thing we say. Uh, uh, when, <laughs> were, were you like? You said it took you twelve hours to take yourself to the hospital. Like during that, I mean, because like the the way that you described the onset of your symptoms um, while you're having sex, it sounded. Like it, at that point, it was like pretty clear that yeah. things were not going well. What was it that like made you take so long to go? Well, you know, the biggest thing was that we, I was in Susanville, California, which is like, no offense to anyone in Susanville. It's a very <laughs> kind of town. Like, and there, the, my thing was like, I don't want to go to a hospital with, in a place that has a population of like 100 people. Uh, <laughs> I was, and at the time it was brought up that I should go to the hospital. Like, but I was like, I don't feel like I need to right this second. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, let's just go to bed and figure it out later. And so I just like watched uh, Jackass for a few hours, but I couldn't sleep. And I was like, I slept for a little bit, a few hours. But when I woke up in the morning, we had sex again, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but awesome. yep. I could not open my hand or use my arm at all. And I'm like, I need to go. I started to panic. I'm like, I need to go to the hospital. So luckily it was like early in the morning, but my drive back to Reno with one arm was almost two and a half hours. So I'm driving and that's when I'm like, started panic more and more. Cause I'm like, okay, something really is wrong. Um, I'm going to go to the nearest hospital that I can go to. And I started to like, and I don't know if it was the stroke or if it was just anxiety on top of it. Like I started to feel weird. I started to like, and I was like driving. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make it to the hospital. I'm like, maybe I'm going to die. Something's wrong. Uh, Um, So it was, it was scary. It got scarier. And then there's some kind of like sense of relief when you get to the hospital though, too, where it's like, you know, okay, I'm in the safest place that I could be if I'm having something happening. So when you get there, there's like, okay, there's a sense of relief now, but Mm. I still didn't think it was that serious. I think I started to convince myself something was wrong, but mm. you know, at the same time, I'm like, really, is it, is it that serious? <laughs> yes, so how, it is. So, so how do they, how do they, how do they treat, uh, how do they treat a stroke? And it, like, I guess, I mean, I know that I, 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 I am also familiar with the, with the drug that you mentioned, the one that you can take, like if you're mm-hmm. seen right away and now, and how, you know, there's like a, a window for that. But when you, when it's been so long since the stroke, the, the actual stroke occurred, um, you know, what, what are they telling you for like treatment and how to go about, um, managing the aftermath of, of going through a stroke? You know, it's, it's, there's really not a lot they can do at some point. I was in the hospital for about a week and 
during that time there, I underwent a series of heart procedures. That was really, um, I think that was kind of the sole reason that I was there other than just to be monitored. Um, Mm -hmm. They were concerned about neurological damage as far as like swallowing. I was on a food restricted diet, um, which their version of restricting your food so you don't choke to death is like dry turkey and like some rice and like, (laughs) (laughs) and I was like, you guys, I'm going to die. Luckily, (laughs) I I was really like the staff was really nice to me and um, made friends with them and they would like sneak me like food (laughs) like because I could swallow but it was more to see and I was like I hated being in the hospital I don't like being in the hospital I wanted to get out so badly that I was doing they had me doing um, physical therapy I couldn't like walk by myself for uh, about four days they wouldn't Uh let me I would walk, but even so, like I would walk with the nurse and I'd be like lightheaded and dizzy and have like weird kind of like residuals and stuff like that. But they wanted to make sure that, you know, I had the ability to function as best that I could. And I was doing, you know, really serious, um, physical and speech therapy, mostly like physical with my hand. I couldn't brush my teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, there was like video that I posted of like myself, like trying to eat with a fork. And I, it took like an hour. I'd have to like sit mm-hmm. there with the fork. And it's like, it's kind of like that scene. And, um, uh, what is it? The, the Tarantino movie with, um, oh, yeah. Thir- yeah. Kill Where Bill. Yes. Show, yeah. You know, finally she gets out of bed. That was mm-hmm. kind of like how I like would compare it. It's like, okay, I'm going to pick up this fork right. and you sit there for 20 minutes <laughs> and then, okay, I'm going to make it like, and I have to grip and like, you know, figure out how to reuse my hand. Um, and then steal and, the pussy wagon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I barrel that. Oh, fuck. And what, uh, like, how long overall, like, how long was the total time before you were fully recovered? It was about like six months. Um, I recovered relatively quickly. I was able to talk better about uh, two weeks in. It was better. Um, It progressively got better. I'd say everything came back about like physically, probably about 90%, which is incredible. That's like, and then my age and I think, you know, my general health helped with that a lot, but, um, you know, my memory is at like 30% of what it was. Right. Uh, and then like, just even thought process is more challenging and difficult. My memory is a problem. It's definitely something right. that I'm out and I'll never get it back. Um, they basically gave me a six month baseline where they're like most, everything physical, emotional, mental, um, it'll be a baseline of about six months. So I kept waiting. I'm like, am I going to start remembering things again? <laughs> six yeah. months. Like my hand is better. I have like relapses. Like, and you can even tell it wants to sit like this. It's happy like that. Mm-hmm. And right. when it's old and if I get like stress, I'll get headaches there too. Occasionally where I kind of start going, okay, like my hand will get a little stiffer, but you know, and this whole side of my face is, is paralyzed. Like I can't feel the the right side of my face and like the corner of my lips. So if you look really closely, you should, mm. I suppose that makes taking a light bulb to the face a lot easier. <laughs> right. 
exactly. <laughs> Just hit this yeah. out of my face. Please. Well, well, like like doing such um um like with wrestling and uh, I'm not sure if you're you're still doing sex work now, but like if with with that being such those being such physical jobs, um, like how did the stroke affect your ability to work? Mm. Well, you know, the biggest thing for me being in the hospital was I. Ha- I'm nuts and everybody everybody said so too. I was planning a comeback scene from my hospital bed. I was like determined. I had um I went back to work, which was not a good idea and I don't recommend this to anyone. 2 weeks after my stroke. And I shot my comeback scene um a month after my stroke with a heart monitor on because I was preparing for heart surgery. <laughs> um Whoa. And that scene was nominated. Um, I did an, uh, the, one of the most critically and acclaimed uh, and award-nominated showcases ever. Um, and it was based around my performances after I had a stroke and kind of through that journey. So it was such a beautiful, beautiful piece that we did. Um, but I was, like, determined to work. And I know, like, people had hesitation with having a stroke, especially right after i didn't if i was going to be physically or mentally able to do it and i wanted to prove to myself and everyone else that i still still had it and i did so immense on i believe but (laughs) uh you know and i still it's difficult you know physically i am fine um and i think that that's kind of frustrating to me when people most people have kind of forgotten about it because I've recovered so well um, mm-hmm. physically. They forget about it where they're like, oh yeah, Misha recovered. She's good. It's more of the mental, you know, side effects and residuals that I, I consider are a problem that even people might not. Um, memory being the biggest one, like I mm-hmm. will forget I scheduled something or even like going to the airport on the wrong day or, you know, things like that. Like Mm -hmm. I get confused easily, especially if I'm overwhelmed, which I am 99% of the time. (laughs) So like, you know, but wrestling and, you know, uh, Jasmine St. Clair, she was like adamant that we didn't do this spot. Adamant. And she was like, you know, you're a stroke survivor. You can't be taking blows to the head you can't be getting cut up. You can't be going through tables. You know, what if you have a serious head injury? Mm. And my response to all of this is after the stroke, I don't want to live in fear. I'd actually want to do things that I would be afraid of or push myself, challenge myself and, and push those boundaries to show people that you can do anything. Like I went for, I'm terrified of motorcycles. I went to had my friend take me on a motorcycle going like a hundred miles through LA, like, which we could have easily died at any moment, you know? And, um, you know, with snakes, like I, I hired a snake guy to do a party that I planned for alterotic. And I was running around all night with snakes on me. And like, <laughs> I, I wanted, you know, I want to swim with a, there's a guy that you can swim with alligators. I want to do that. You know, <laughs> I, like, I don't want it to be something that cripples me. I mm-hmm. want it to be something that I, it, it challenges me, but it motivates me too. And I'm cautious about it. Like I, I'm not going to be extremely reckless. I mean, some of these things are a little borderline, but you know, I don't, I don't want it to be a crutch. I don't want yeah. it 
be something that hinders me in any way. Hell yeah. yeah that's, I, think, I think it gives you that weight, that, yeah. that like a bit of a wake up of like, hey, life isn't, that's it. life isn't forever. Yeah. And like, I had, some, I had something happen that could have, you know, ended, I could have yeah. died from that. And I don't want to, I'm not looking to go out. I'm not looking to, to go out having not, you know, push the, push the limits or. Yeah. Which I mean, you've already been pushing the limits even before the show. And now it's just like, push them even further. You know, it's like, it's, 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 it's very, it's very rad. Super uh, rad. I, uh, Misha, I, w- I want to say, uh, first of all, thank you. I mean, this is like, this has been, I knew this was going to be a fun conversation, like even before it happened, but, uh, this, this, uh, kind of beat my expectations and, and then some, uh, uh, we're big fans. We think you're super rad. Uh, give a moment to plug, Anything you have coming up, where can people find you and keep up with your work? Well, I'm actually going to be tomorrow, uh, January 4th to the 7th. I'll be in Las Vegas at AVN. I'm signing for Inked Vixens. I will be at the award show. I'm nominated again this year. And then the following, uh, thank you, thank you, big deal. Uh, January 13th, I will be in LA for X3, XBiz convention. And then at the awards for the 15th, I'm nominated for sex scene of the year, which is awesome. And um, yeah, I have got a ton of stuff coming up. The There's a lot. I'm directing my third series now, I'm about to start another one. And it's just, it's nonstop. Ink Motel 4 is coming out soon and that's crazy. Um, it's just a lot of really crazy directorial projects and performing projects that I have. Um, you can find me on socials at the Misha Montana, Instagram and Twitter and MishaMontana.com and OnlyFans.com slash Misha Montana. Amazing. Thank Sweet. you, Misha. This has been a real treat. Thank you guys. It's wonderful. Enjoy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.